From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast, which is powered by downtown London and the Covent Garden Market. It's time for the Friday Roundtable, and I am joined here in studio today to talk about the issues of the week by Kelly Elliott, who's the former deputy mayor of Thames Center, as well as a couple of political insiders, Nathan Carancy and Ryan Goss. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Craig. Uh, this has been uh, another interesting week, and as the budget turns, so just to get a, a very quick <laughs> recap on things that have gone on, we've shifted some money around that was going to be in the climate change fighting reserve. Now it's going to go to transit, so the transit people are maybe happy, sort of. There are ads on London transit buses right now telling councillors or telling p- riders to tell their councillors how they should be spending budget money. Uh, the library, we've seen uh, uh, Jeremy McCall from the library board has been on this podcast a few times uh, writing pieces about, hey, this is what's going to happen if we underfund the library. It's, it's just been, uh, I've called it budget hunger games because it feels like everybody's fighting everybody else. Uh, should we be having budget hunger games, Kelly? I feel like that's not exactly how we want to be doing business. <laughs> I'm not a fan. I'll just say, but I think I, I think we should start out in general in the fact that, you know, I'm happy I'm not a municipal elected official right now going through budgets. I think, you know, municipalities are absolutely strained and it's not just the city of London, but we're definitely feeling it in the city of London. You know, if you throw out a few stats like, um, you know, Ontario municipalities are facing a $3.4 billion infrastructure debt, meaning that in order to put all of the roads, bridges and culverts alone up into a good state of repair, it's going to cost $3.4 billion in the province of Ontario. Oh. You look at, um, it just came out from AMO at Roma a, a few weeks ago that um, municipalities are paying $4 billion annually on provincial responsibilities that aren't covered over and above what the province is giving them for funding. So municipalities like are strained to the max and we have an archaic tax system that can't handle all of this. And so this is the outcome of it. The outcome is that we are down to hunger games because there is very little money to go around, not a great system to collect the money that needs to go around and now everybody's fighting for every cent they can get and and this is what we end up with it's not good nathan uh i don't know if you feel differently about where the library's been at where ltc's been at do you are, are you okay with seeing signs on london transit buses saying hey call your counselor about this does, is, does that present a problem for you uh, for me no not at all does not present a problem i think that i i appreciate frankly the engagement and people trying to motivate people uh, to motivate other people to get involved and participate. I think that it was totally fair and reasonable for LTC to do that. And I think any other organization or, or you know, entity that gets money can do the same thing, really, to make sure that the people that use their service know what is happening um, and, and what, they, what they need to advocate for and when they need to do so. Because mm-hmm. as you guys know, and Kelly, I think you just alluded to it, you only have so many opportunities, especially when we have a four-year budget cycle. This like is now, This is yeah. the time. We yep. can modify things later, but like, here we go. And people need to know that. And not everybody's paying attention like, you know, us crazies here in the room <laughs> do all the time. So, but more important, I personally don't necessarily, necessarily characterize this as uh, Hunger Games or, or the competition that way. 
Uh, I absolutely acknowledge what you're saying about um, the property tax system. I actually wrote about this when I was in university uh, many years ago, just how different it is versus, you know, construction oh, that was taxes. A real or, and, and, what's it? Oh, I'm yeah. Sure it's a real page turner. <laughs> actually, yeah. It was, uh, you, you were my dissertation. Uh, uh, um, what do you call it? The p- people review it. But in any case, point is that I think we have a huge tax increase that is happening here. And first and foremost, I think you know, been on the radio here and had conversations with you guys before, certainly not a proponent of raising taxes this high and in this manner. Mm -hmm. But again, we talk all the time about people being okay with paying for the services that they need and they want. They're willing to pay more. They just want to know that it's going to legitimate services that way. There is a huge, you know, there's a big increase with the police, which I think is kind of, uh, um, you know, you know. For example, we had an in- interesting situation yesterday at council where they were trying to advance and, and discuss funding more business cases that could have happened, but they connected it to the taking it from the police budget. I think they would have had more success from other councillors if they would have just said no, increase the taxes, increase yeah. the taxes to do yeah. it. What you have is a group of councillors, a majority of city councillor councillors and the mayor, who are willing to say in this current moment, I am okay with charging. X number, I think it's five plus percent more uh, year over year tax increase for the city of London for policing. And I'm willing to look my constituents in the face because I've heard them say it to me at the doors and I'm willing to do it. That seems totally fine to me. Absolutely. And absolutely as an advocate for this police budget myself, we simply don't have the same thing for the other issues like transit or library or the other issues that have been there. I am personally a proponent of of both of those entities, especially transit, getting the funding that they asked for and, frankly, I believe needed. But they just didn't have the same support on council. They had to move some things around, take it from some funds. And, frankly, that's how this works. And it worked okay. You got an 8-7 vote. They got the money they were looking for. It didn't come from the tax levy. That lost. But it came from a reserve fund. That won. Okay, great. So Mm -hmm. that's that's the... the council that we elected and that's what they decided to do. So I don't think it's a matter of hunger games. It's just a matter of priorities. And there, there is a world in which everything got funded. If people, if the councillors had the courage to say, we're going to have a sufficient tax increase for the police, they got what they're looking for. And there's a majority of council who's willing to stand by that for the other ones. It took a little bit of maneuvering to get sufficient support. Yeah, so I agree with everything Nathan and Kelly just said. Um, and I, I want to point to the fact that what really disgusts me actually in this whole budget process is people villainizing each other for wanting to support transit or police or library. I think it's fantastic, frankly, that those ads are on the uh, on the the buses. I think it's fantastic that people are talking about the budget process. Most of the time, like the majority of Londoners are too busy taking their kids to soccer, trying to find a way to put food on the table and pay their mortgages and go to their jobs. So, like, I, I think that all these things just help promote the budget process and try to get people engaged. And I think that each each of those three things that we talked about, police, transit, and libraries. Although those budgets are very different, and, and and I think that the fact is is that each of those boards and, and the supporters of those organizations and those budget requests are going to make their cases, and how they do that, I respect fully. Obviously, it goes without saying, I sit on the London Police Services Board. I am not here today speaking on behalf of the board. I will leave that to our chair, Ali Chabar, but I want to... T- uh, uh, um, 
catapult off something Kelly said because she talked about the infrastructure shortfall and what happens when you constantly underfund and when you when you just keep put, uh, kicking the can down the road. Let's be honest, folks. That's what we've done here in London for the police. We've constantly kicked that can down the road. But that applies the to the tra- transit system too. That applies, 100%. That applies no. to everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 100%. But we've grossly underfunded the police and we've asked and frankly, it's almost been a badge of honor where chiefs have come to council and say, I'm doing more with less deputy chief mcintyre actually said on the budget debate yesterday it she called it like a frankenstein car is the analogy she used we're constantly we're constantly putting stuff together to try to provide service and now the crack now now the cracks are so big that we can't do this anymore this is a course correction are you going to see a budget ask like this from the police in the next four-year budget no you're not like this is a this is a once in a generational change and increase that that is coming to support a whole new service delivery model and a different way of doing police in London. And frankly, back to my original point, and I see you want to jump in, Craig, but mm-hmm. I just want to make this one last point. We should not be villainizing people for doing that. Like we should not be, if you want to support another cause, fine, but don't pity, don't pit transit against police or libraries against transit. That's kind of the way it's gone though. Yeah, if we're, if we're yeah. going to cap this out at, Hey, we don't want to get to 9%. That's kind of the way it has to go. Right. Cause there's only, there's only X number of dollars that we're going to be able to, to find a way and, to spend. And, no, and no, I would agree with that in, in the terms that, you know, the engagement level was amazing. And I think the amount of people that actually paid attention to the budget, I mean, I sat on eight years of budgets Mm -hmm. in a small town where no one really participated. And so that engagement level is everywhere. But I think Craig's right in the fact that what I didn't appreciate was that, you know, like saying, you know, if I support the police budget, I'm not supporting the library. And, And that's very much what it came out to is that it was, one or the other, one or the other. And but I that's often... that's the, the environment we've created here. Oh, exactly. And yeah. I often refer to that Brent Hodrian um, circle graph where it's, you know, if you want... If you want more services, and you're going to have to have higher taxes, and th- and that's just the reality of it. And, and you're absolutely right, Nathan, in the fact that you know it shouldn't be one or the other. If we want these services, and I say we as in you know I don't live mm-hmm. in London, but in Town Center, mm-hmm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. same reality goes in whatever community yeah. you live in. If you want those services, you have to pay for them. But the reality is, is that and and I go back to municipalities are absolutely strained to the max because they're paying for things mm-hmm. they shouldn't be paying. Oxford County is the perfect example. Marcus Ryan just posted yesterday. Yesterday, Oxford County is paying more for affordable housing uh, and for housing in their budget than the province and the federal government combined. The municipalities doing that. And so that's where that's exactly right. That's what the environment we've created is when everything is getting downloaded to municipalities and they can't pay for it. Well, I think, again, to just to full circle here, I have no problem paying more taxes uh, really number regardless, number aside, so long as they're going to the core basic fundamental services that municipalities have to provide. Library, transit, and policing all f- fall under that category, and there are other ones. But I will say, I have not seen from the policing side of things, from anybody in the policing uh, advocacy angle, not the service board, not the chief, not anybody else, pitting the police budget against others. I just haven't seen that. They've said, we need the full funding for this one, but it's been an entirely different discussion for other pockets, for transit, for library, or any other thing you've seen. 
I well, have that's seen they're them. the ones that got the you know, you know by their definition the short end of the stick. Okay, but, right? okay, but hold on a second. We're talking but, but about hold on a second. So, sorry, Nathan, I yeah. didn't mean to interrupt. But again, I come back to the point. Then do an up and down vote on increasing the tax levy. Nothing is yeah. stopping a counselor oh, from bringing enough. it right. forward and saying, "I want to fully fund transit and have that conversation on where you're comfortable." Yep. To Nathan's yeah. point, I am I am good paying more for transit. I fully I support transit, and my kids use the library every week. We are in the Byron Library every single week. I'm I'm a supporter of both those things. My my job and my lifestyle doesn't necessarily allow me to rely on London Transit for my schedule, but I would use it if I if if I could. It's just not, and I don't fault or 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 think less of or besmirch anyone that wants to get rid of their car and go on London Transit. That's a personal decision to make, and it is an important system for a city like London, and frankly, for all cities. That said, we don't need to pit it against each other, Craig. We can go back and say, we want to fund transit mm-hmm. X number of dollars. This is what it means to the levy. Have that up and down vote. Sure, I agree. But if you are someone from the transit board, provided you're not one of the sitting councillors, to yep. be clear. If you're someone from the transit board, if you're someone from the library board, and you're hearing, hey, no, this is going to be what the tax levy is. So you're looking at, okay, the police got this big a hike and we want th- like, you know, we want this number of dollars. You're looking from the perspective of, okay, they got whatever our increase would have been. So we have to argue that we should be getting that part of the increase, right? Because you've been told the parameters for this discussion is, hey, we're not going to increase the tax. But that's that hasn't happened. You've had actually members of the library board that yeah. have voted against their own budget and in yes. favor of the police well, budget. And, and so, hey, so one second, so yeah. this is not actually happening like from the policing side. That's what I'm saying is yeah. just back to the original point. We are seeing people, I've seen it in the free press and, and media outlets. The thing about the police is it's always the biggest line item in the budget. And right. it has to be. That's every municipality. That's the core service that they offer unless you have OPP or RCMP running. It's still the uh, biggest budget. <laughs> it is the biggest. Right, exactly. Still thing. But, but we have not seen, I have not, and I, I'd love to see any advocate for policing try and pit their budget against the others. To the extent that there has been any conflict, it has been generated by A, people trying to say, we want money for our services and we mm-hmm. need to take it from this big pot that's over there. They have every right to do so, but I think that they lost, um, a, a, not, I don't want to say credibility, they lost uh, they lost that effort because the priority from councillors, by virtue of their constituents, was ensuring that the police were sufficiently funded and public safety would be a priority. That's why I think you saw that vote that happened yesterday to reallocate police funding to transit, or, or no, not housing. to transit, to, to, to housing. Housing, housing and other things. Yeah. It lost 12 to 3. There yeah. were supporters, there were people critical of the police budget that voted against that mm-hmm. because they're like, no, 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 we, let's debate this on its own merits. And they ended up doing so. They had to defeat the motion. It t- took a lot of time. But well, Councillor Trossow, like, sorry to interrupt yeah. me, but Councillor Trossow voted against that motion who who I would have thought for sure would have voted yeah let's let's decrease and he said no this is not the way to do it and frankly this isn't good budgeting either right like right. Let, let, let's talk about these these items on their own merits and and to Nate, uh, to Nathan's point I I really really don't like this this pitting one against the other there has been there has been no effort to have conversations about uh, about just the business cases on their own merits and raising the tax levy. Again, whether or not councillors are comfortable doing that is an entirely different story. What I am saying is have that conversation and don't come, I want more money from housing and I want to take it from over here. I want more money from for housing. Full stop. Are you willing to, are raise you willing taxes to support to pay this? For it? Exactly. Yes or no? No. So I think that's where it comes down to the political part of it though, is that, yes. you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to some councillors who are going to take offense to this, but 
they care more about getting reelected in three years than they do about what actually has to be invested in this city. And so they're not willing to raise taxes because then they have to run on a reelection of a four year budget with with substantial tax increases, right? And so they have to go to the public and face the music, and there's going to be councillors who don't want to do that. But uh, Great point, but also when they're seeking re-election, they're also going to get the position of people. And what they, like, people get a vote. And if, if people are going to vote one way, if, if the guy who lives on the corner of you know South Street and North Street says, I want police as my number one priority, I want you mm-hmm. to keep the tax levy low, I don't use the bus as often, but my do, kids do go to the library. But you know what? My priority is policing. Evidently, from councillors, and frankly, look at the coalition of councillors supporting the police budget. Most of those councillors are the ones that are most, <laughs> they grab their wallets the, the quickest. Mm-hmm. They're the ones least likely to want to raise taxes. And they're the ones proudly saying, I am eager and willing to raise taxes by five plus percent directly and exclusively, specifically for police. Because right. that's what I'm hearing from constituents. And I will live and die by that sword. So, They've heard that and they got elected on that mandate. And I agree. I, I will say this. And I know that, you know, but, and, and, I, and I hope to, and I have said this on the podcast several times, I hope to talk with, uh, with the chief about this. I think that if you asked a significant percentage of Londoners, hey, do you want X amount of hours more uh, on LTC? Hey, do you want this library branch to stay open? Or hey, do you want a $24 million police training center? I think more Londoners are going to want the library thing or the transit thing or the police. Well, but hold thing. hold on a second. Hold on a, I, se- uh, a, hold, hold on a second. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Because I, 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 that's a fair argument. But I, I guess we need to give the whole context there because the yeah. training center has kind of become a lightning rod, and it's just this this fancy new thing just for the police. Hold on. It's this is fire. a joint I know, I know. thing with London Fire no. that is showing up on the police operating budget, but the fires is is co funding as well. Um, it is actually going to be a regional regional to Kelly's point in the community that she lives in when we're training training first responders, when we're training volunteer firefighters, when we're training police officers, they're going to be coming to do their annual requalifications, whether it's shooting, baton, pepper spray, and these firefighters are going to be trained as well. So I want to be very, very careful on this because it, it, it's actually frustrated me a little bit. If, if you want to have a conversation with the training center, fine, but let's not just say this is exclusively for police, this is some mm-hmm. shiny new center. Uh, and, and one thing, as someone who for over 12 years spent his time with the RCMP as an HR advisor and spent two years as a training advisor, training, uh, setting up programming to train Mounties. I can tell you how important these centers are. And one thing is for darn sure. When I have first responders out on the street, when they're dealing with these life and death situations, you're damn right. I want them well-trained. And if that means, if that means spending it, if that means not shipping them to Ottawa to get trained, Craig, or, or trying to have them shoot out in a, in a gravel pit and, and use smaller targets that don't even actually resemble the distance they have to shoot at. Yeah, I will invest the money. So have we can have that debate absolutely. And, and I, I welcome that. But let's also talk about it in the right context that this is not just police. Right. It, it, there's much more than that. And, and uh, it's very clearly fire too. But what we're doing here is we're doing both. We're doing, hey, we're going to hire a whole lot more officers. And hey, we're going to do the training center in the same cycle. Well, but the, train but, but it's a capital know, expense. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's be honest, it's yeah. not an operational yeah. thing. It's not $24 million you're going to have to spend year over year on no, something. I get that. But, I mean, I think, but I think we can sit in this room, <laughs> the three of us, who understand budgets, who understand the process, who understand all of this, right? Like, this is going out to the general public. What does the general public see, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think this goes back to, you know, as much as you can go knock on someone's door and they say, I support the police, I'm willing to pay for that. In the grand scheme of things, when we talk about affordability, Doug Ford just got up in a meeting, yes, in a press conference yesterday and said, and blamed all level 
um, all levels of government, including po- including the municipalities, and said, hey, politicians, you have to realize people can't afford things and you need to do whatever you can do to put money back in pockets, right? And that is, I would say, for the broad general public, that's what they're hearing, right? So then when you hear that and then turn around and say, we're going to put in substantial tax increases over the next four years, that's the mixed messaging that the general public is getting. I absolutely think that's a great point. Having said that, there's a lot of ways, a lot of ways that maybe we'll be hearing about sooner than later oh, that the city can be uh, saving money that doesn't have to come to the core services like transit in the library, but also police and fire. There's plenty of ways that the city can can uh, take money down. I know there's a lot of councillors and the mayor sometimes get offended when you say that, but the fact of the matter is there's a lot of discretionary spending that happens in a lot of these departments, and I don't want to go into them like shooting from the hip here, but you know, you can absolutely do that and, and bring costs down without going to core services with the city. I absolutely believe that municipalities, and let's just talk about London here, uh, <laughs> are spending money on things and spending time on things that they absolutely do not need to do. And it's more about signaling to their uh, constituents and otherwise that they are doing something about it that's not actually having an effect on anything. And we don't need to cut library, transit, policing budgets in order to continue financing these things. Exactly. And let's let's remember this too. This is not a London-specific problem. So though we're talking about London in this room, London's tax increase is actually quite good in comparison to some other municipalities. Now, do I want to spend 8.7% as a Londoner? No. Does any is any, anyone you're going to meet that says, "Yes, please, please raise my taxes 8.7% uh per year?" Absolutely not. Not for a second am I saying that. However, I do agree with Nathan is that if you can show me and tell me that for 8.7% you're improving these things, you're improving these core services, yeah, I will begrudgingly accept that and I will pay the bill. I don't have much of a choice. I have to once it's passed. But I want to be very clear. This is what all municipalities in Ontario and frankly across the country are finding themselves in with inflation, with other uh, extenuating circumstances that aren't dire- directly related to the municipalities. Everyone is looking at these tax increases. So I just don't want to be like, well, London's paying 8.7% and everyone else is paying 2 because that's not the case. And actually, we're quite very competitive. Very recently, I mean, 14 years ago, in 2010, there was a mayor who was elected by with 45,000 plus votes on a campaign promise to freeze taxes for four years at 0%. Now, that didn't happen. It ended up being are, 1% year over year. There are a variety of reasons. Variety why of reasons. Why <laughs> <laughs> but the point is this. It's important to understand 45,000 Londoners voted to freeze taxes at zero right. in 2010. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're paying for that consequences now. There's a lot of things happening. My point is those very same people that voted for that mayoral candidate and that mayor for, that was there for three plus years are the ones saying now to their councillors, and we're the ones backing this coalition of councillors, they're saying, I want to pay more taxes to make sure that the law is enforced consistently and, and, and reliably in the city of London in a greater extent. And Nathan, that's where the, that's where the numbers are going. On that, those same people, though, 
are demanding a whole new level of transparency with these type of investments, and that that is paramount. So with and that's the amount, your job, bro. With, exactly. Well, exactly. And well, right. but, but you've and, and yeah. you've heard me say that. Right. You've heard me say that at 100%. public board meetings. You've heard me say, and I will. And you, if you look at the board that I sit with, the London Police Services Board, we have talked about it. Our chairs talked about it. I believe with you, if not with other media outlets yep. as well, yeah. saying you are going to see a whole new level of transparency with this. And one thing I can tell you that if if for some reason, and I have full cha- uh, full uh, faith in Chief Tai Trung, I've worked with hundreds, if not thousands, of police leaders uh, in my former day job with the RCMP, and I can tell you that he is one of the best I have ever met. And but if he, if for some reason a, new, a change he's putting in isn't working, we are not going to be spending good money over bad. We are going to be changing direction. We are going to be holding administration accountable and asking them to deliver the results on what's promised. So with so, with great with, with this great investment comes great responsibility. Let me ask you this then, Ryan. And, 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 and I know you don't want to speak on behalf of the board, but I'll ask you this as a member of the board. What should Londoners, if, if this police budget goes through as is, what should Londoners expect from it? What should their expectation be? Hey, here's what you're going to see if we spend this number of dollars on police officers and other things. What they're going to see is a safer city, Craig. And, and I know that's a broad term and a lot of people say, well, what that's, does that exactly mean? Exactly. So let me, but yeah. let me, let me get into sure. that. You're going to see an improvement in response times. You are going to see a whole new service delivery model. I'm not going to speak to this, the specifics of the serv- yep. service delivery model. I know that you may be having the chief on your show. I hope to I, do so. He is the expert and we are a governance board, not, not we don't direct the operations. So I'm going to let him speak to that. But what I do know is that this new service delivery model that he has talked about, how he's looked to re in, reimagine policing in the city of London is exciting. And you know who I'm hearing that from, Craig? I'm hearing that from the police officers that walk up to me, yeah, know mm-hmm. that I'm on the police services board saying, oh my God, you have no idea as mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. a quote unquote outsider, not being a police officer myself, yeah. what this is going to do and how this is going to change our job and how you're going to see the the immediate impact. We are So we are going to see more presence of police officers in neighborhoods. We're going to see more community engagement. We're going to see more proactive policing. And the list goes on and on. This is not going to be, I want to be clear, this isn't a silver bullet. Is there still going to be crime in London? Sure there is. Like we're not, we're not living in a land of a sunshine lollipop and unicorns here right but at the same time you are going to see a much safer london and this service delivery model is key and it is paramount and under chief trung's leadership and with his senior command you are going to see results delivered because as a board and what is our responsibility we are going to demand them and i am the citizen appointee remember that i am the citizen appointee to the board i'm not appointed by the province i'm not one of the city councillors so you can be damn sure that as a Londoner, I'm going to be asking those really tough questions if things aren't working. I think that you're going to see crime rates and the enforcement of the law go up. So you're going to see more enforcement of traffic. You're going to see more enforcement of bad guys. And I want to add one thing here. There's a, there's a false dichotomy that is often presented. And I understand why and I understand that it happens. That all police deal with, and frankly, maybe a majority of what police deal with, are people who would benefit more from increased so- social services mm-hmm. or drug, th- you know, drug rehabilitation? That is some of what police do. It absolutely. But yeah. let me just be very clear: something that gets lost in this conversation, and I've seen it with my own eyes, and I think you probably have too, Ryan, and everybody here probably has. There are bad guys in this city, really very, bad guys, very bad guys, and there are they, they these people deserve none of our empathy, none of our our respect. 
they are, are, are abusing people. Chief Tai Trong comes from the uh, uh, trafficking division from where he, he came before. I know people in the trafficking division, drug trafficking, human trafficking, all these things. There are bad, bad things that go on in the city that are left not enforced because of strained resources. And there are bad people and bad groups that come into this city, are here already and are trying to grow and have been here in the past. And it's time to root them out from the branch, root and branch. And that is, we can't just talk about, you know, the poor people, the the, the very sad stories we see on the corner of Wellington and Horton Street and, and those people. Yes, that deals, sucks up a lot of police time. Of course. That is not a majority of what they deal with. They deal with way too much of that. And they we've we've got the COAST program and a lot of these things to help, you know, mitigate that and bring social services to them. But there are serious things going on. Oh, where there's human people, trafficking. There's organized yes, crime. Right. There's, I, and I, I'm more than willing to grant there's all these things. Yeah. What, I, what I've said on this podcast before several times is, to me, you have multiple choices in what you do with... The police are overworked. And I think everyone should agree that the police officers in this city are overworked. How you handle that, I suppose, is the discussion here. And one of the ways, not exclusively, but one of the ways is give them less stuff to go to. Mm-hmm. For so sure. therefore, yeah. hey, when someone's having a mental health issue at Wellington and Horton, let's not send a police officer. Let's send somebody else. But you don't do that by taking their money away. You do that by increasing money elsewhere and having oh, yeah. the courage and I, to well, pay for and it. I, think, I agree with that. And right. I think that's the point. And, and I'm very much a proponent of, you know, police shouldn't be doing half of the things they're of doing. It should be dealt in the social service aspect, I think they would the agree housing with you, Kelly. aspect. Yeah. I think they would very much agree with you. You think yeah. we've got LPA yeah. on Absolutely. here? They wouldn't agree with me? I yeah. think they would. But yeah. I... But at the same time, as we speak today about today's budget, that's not going to happen overnight. Right. You know, in this in the 2024 budget across in every municipality across the province, not just again, not just the city of London, they can invest in housing, they can invest in their social services, you know, they can do everything that the province should be doing and isn't doing. It's not going to change things overnight. Police budgets are still going to have to increase because they are still going to be dealing with all of this. It is going to take, you know, we should have been doing this 20 years ago. We're not. And so we're dealing with the aftermath here. And so I'm a huge proponent of, you know, of taking things away from the police that they shouldn't be dealing with it and putting it elsewhere. But it's going to take time to do that at the same time that has to be recognized. Yeah, I agree with that. And on this argument too, I, I want to make a, a clear point. It's not like when it comes to transit or libraries, it's not like they were getting nothing in the mayor's no. budget. So like, I want to be clear, transit was getting a 49% base increase over the four-year multi-year budget. And it looks like as well, and uh, I, someone's going to yell at me, I'm sure on Twitter, because they like to do that. But I'm sure if the, it was on the, <laughs> libra- on the library budget, it was 5.5% on average per year that they were getting. A, a, so oh, well over 20% as well. So I want to be very clear that it's not like the and Actually, what a lot of people are forgetting about transit is there was the most monumental increase in the history of paratransit uh, yes. uh, made as well. So I, I want to be clear that it's not like it's feast or famine and they were getting nothing. Right. So I want to be very, very clear. The mayor actually put a lot of lot of uh, money into those areas as well and a lot of money into a lot of other areas. It's just there, to Kelly's point, and this we don't have time to, to talk about this, but there is a problem with how municipalities Re- generate revenue the, and, and the ta- and the and the tax system with municipalities is broken that's a much longer conversation we don't yep. have time for and the province needs to look at that but at the end of the day everyone can, uh everything can't be funded and in each multi-year budget you're going to need to look and identify what the priorities of that specific budget are 
And then I'm sure they're going to switch to the next budget as well. I think the best way to increase the revenue that the city that the city of London is taking in right now is by enforcing the law and creating a reliable environment for investment and for business to thrive in the downtown core and elsewhere. There, that's simply not happening. We're, I'm looking out the, out the the window right now, and you've got vacancies. There's a lot of things happening. The best way there. to address that is to finish all the the towers, the cranes that we've got, uh, not too yeah. far from, and not that's, appeal them. Like, there's a lot of those things. Yeah. And again, there's. Yeah. <laughs> Right. On that note, the very same people that are leading those appeals are the ones that want less funding for policing. Exactly. And less like it's it, not everybody, but I mean, like a a, lot. The, the core groups. We know exactly who they are from, you know, knocking on the doors. But again, the point is, I to go back to how it was characterized at the beginning. I don't accept the premise that it is necessarily a Hunger Games environment. I think it is. I think council have that, created that though. Well. The, well, by an artificial cap right. on what they yeah, want to do exactly. with the tax. Okay, that's yeah. their, that's yeah. their own creation. Right. But, course, yeah. And that's, they can that's do that. Fair. That's a fair yeah. But the transit yeah. and, and library, listen, you have to, it's, there's 15 people on council. Let me just give the biggest secret in the world. There's 15 people on council, yeah. pl- or 14 plus the mayor. That's 15 total. If you can get eight votes, you can get whatever the hell you want done in right. the city. Yeah. The police have done the work. They've advocated for years now to get what they want to do, get what they want to get, and they've made a solid pitch. They've got, there's an excellent police service board, and they're going to do it. You can't, for as much as I love the transit uh, you know, ads, you can't just dial it up, you know, one day and put some advertisements and just expect that people are going to do that. It takes work. It takes advocacy and effort. And city councilors have a mandate and a responsibility for four years to uh, apply their discernment and make priorities. People are going, you know, you've heard it from, from people, from some of the most right-wing councilors that are there. And there's not many. There's a couple that say, hey... I don't want any tax increase, but I need the police funding. And I'm willing to go to my constituents and ask for re-election after the fact, look them in the face and say, yes, I raise your taxes by X percent. And I, this is what I paid. Uh, this is what we paid for. And, you know, love me or hate me. They're willing to take that, that risk and make that, uh, yeah. uh, make that case. And, and it'll be up to them. For the very people that think that the police are getting too much or these other entities are not getting enough, they will also organize and run their own campaigns mm-hmm. in a democracy and make that pitch to voters. I believe that the pro-police uh, councillors, of which there's a, a, a significant majority on council, I think they're going to be successful in the next election because their constituents uh, support what they're doing. And people are going to see a great improvement. People are going to see better. People I hope you're right. See- I, I promise you. Yeah, I, I promise to. you. And, and yep. you know what? You can come and put me through the meat grinder. I will. Um, in four years, if it's not like, is it, is you know when the budget approve it? Is it going to be safer tomorrow? No, it's going to take time, Craig. Like, mm-hmm. let's be honest. But yes, you are going to see a safer city. You're going to see a uh, a better um a better pol- uh, police service that is able to deliver um without 150 calls in the queue bogging them down. You're going to see a healthier work environment for those police officers. You're going to see higher morale. You're going to see less off duty sick. You're going to see safer yep. roads. You're going to see safer neighborhoods you're going to see a safer community and to the point that nathan just made you're going to have people that want that are going to want to make those investments into the municipality they're going to want to be in in the downtown they're going to want to be opening their businesses so yes you are and you know what chief trung is the is the man at the top to do this you're going to see it it's going to happen and here's what i'll say about chief trung before we move on to another topic um what i i like that chief trung has had the guts to say oh you've been convicted of a crime you're suspended without pay that apparently, that, that, from what I understand, was a bridge too far for some people. I don't care for that. No, 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 no. I, like, he's got the guts to, when it 
matters when the chips are down, say to members of the service, no, 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 sorry, you're, you're not working right now. Like, and so it's not just a matter of, hey, everyone, just, everyone there just gets whatever they want all the time. He's willing to, to be the heavy when it requires it internally. Chief Trung is everywhere. Yeah. And, she, and Chief Trung is, is always making tough decisions. And you know what? Even people that don't like the police or don't, or don't want to support this budget ask or don't like how mm-hmm. things have been handled, no one can argue that Chief Trung is not always there. The guy's met with everyone. He's out there. He's in the community. He's engaging. And he's the right man at the right time to lead this service. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll leave that one there because I know that we could go on for the entire <laughs> podcast about it and we've been talking for 35 minutes uh, <laughs> I want to do a couple more stories before I wrap up here first one uh, Mayor Morgan says he's going to use strong mayor powers which I don't know if you necessarily have to do but whatever let's just get this thing done quick to start looking at uh, city owned po- uh, parking lots and say hey can we like find developers who may want to build stuff on there I love this. I think it's a great idea. And I think that everybody should be uh, very supportive of this. Uh, Nathan, what was your reaction when you heard that the mayor had come out and, and done that this week? I thought it was a little dramatic. I, <laughs> I, I don't think it would need its strong mayor powers. You could have run it's, that through council yeah, and got your eight I, pretty quick to your point. What earlier. did I count? Yeah. I said 15 votes on yeah. council. You might get 16 votes. Yeah. I don't know. You might, somebody might be raising two hands uh, for something like that. But Craig okay. would have ran into the, the, yeah, exactly. the, the chambers to they get should, his vote. They should let me vote. But that's yeah. Yeah. Craig would be walking in like stone cold there with a couple beers just boom. Let's yeah. do this. No, but seriously, I, I do in all, you know, this is not a contentious issue. There are plenty of um, opportunities in the downtown core uh, with surface parking lots um, and prospective developers, current owners or perhaps future owners to do something with it. I will tell you, this is not new. This is not a new idea. And this is not a partisan idea. This is not a left wing or right wing. I know as, re- as, as far back as 10, 15 years ago, there was an advocacy effort to do exactly these types of things um, close to the JLC before the, the towers at the TriCar building were even built. Um, I, I could I'd rhyme off a couple other examples. And at the time, quite frankly, not to tell tales out of school, city staff didn't even look at it. They didn't even care. They were not interested in engaging in public-private partnerships or otherwise to... Uh, uh, to make an endeavor such as this one. Now, I love to come on here and relitigate the past. We all do because we've been paying attention for so long. (laughs) But I've been advised that perhaps it should be a little bit more forward-looking. So I'll do that. I think this is a great idea. I think that is a very significant. I th- forget the address that he used, but it's that uh, lot right between... Um, 185 uh, Queens 185 Avenue. 185 Queens Ave, right. So right behind uh, London Music Hall, right. right near one London Place. Which I'm pretty sure uh, Fari Holdings owns, and there's been drama there for a long time. I think Drama that a whole, with Fari Holdings? I think that <laughs> there's a great opportunity here to do something that way. Um, I just think it's about implementation. Again, what I fear when I see strong mayor powers used... First of all, we don't talk about all the time strong mayor powers are used. Do you guys know how many times? I don't, but I know it's more than 10 or about 10. And I don't think any one of us who pays attention, as I couldn't, mm-hmm. uh, pays attention as much as we do. I don't think we could name the times that it has been used. I have, you know, I can name a couple that have irritated me, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, you know, a strong mayor powers for something like this just seems like an announcement to get some... Uh, uh, you know, some attention. That's great. And if I saw the mayor, I would kind of laugh with him, I think. I think he'd, he'd laugh along and just say, hey, listen, I see it as a priority. I'm using strong mayor powers to do it. And I'd say, hell yeah, let's do it, man. I just, you know, 
do no. do more things like this. So Let's get it implemented. Let's do it. Not the policy, it. not the issue for you. More so the implementation. I Kelly, think, what do you think? Yeah. I think Ryan said it best last time. Don't appeal it. Like just yeah. just get it done. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I I think so too. And I, I suspect there there shouldn't be much of an issue here. Now I know that, and I, I talked about this on Twitter. And uh, former Councillor Turner mentioned, hey, you know what? We got to make sure it doesn't happen. Is that the former Free Press Building doesn't become a surface parking lot for decades on end? I agree. Now that's a little bit um, tougher needle to thread for the but, city but, of London. But this but, is a, yeah. it's a perfect example. And with all due respect to the former councillor, who cares? Like I, I care. I, well, no, but I, I want it too as well. But why are we talking about that rather than the current surface parking lots that we want to? Act? Again, right. we're talking about implementation. Yeah. If that becomes a surface parking lot and all these other ones take priority and get moving on right away, big picture, it's fine. But they worry more about those type of things rather than fixing issues that have been on their plate. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. No, I totally agree. Why are we... I, I care too. I don't want that to be surface parking forever. I want big, beautiful towers. Frankly... I've said this on this program before. Yeah. I think we build way too many ugly, you know, apartment buildings. We should be telling these developers, dig a little deeper in your pocket, make it prettier, use nicer stone, use some nice Victorian designs, you know, yeah. cl- like what we have in beautiful places like Woodfield and other parts of our of our hey, city. Are you like, saying that we should tell developers what to do? Listen, <laughs> I, I, think we should do, I think we should tax them a lot more and we should tell them what to do. Absolutely, I do. Make no mistake. But... Again, I just think uh, there's a lot of opportunity. I'm more concerned, with, again, with the implementation of things on our plate. What can we do right now? What can I, I'm going to control what I can control. I can't control this over there, so I'm not going to focus on the Free Press Building right now. Let's focus yeah. on 185 Queens, like we talked yeah. about, and it's, other examples. It's a city-owned lot that, that right. does not need to be a parking lot, very right. clearly. Uh, Ryan, did you want to weigh in on that before we move well, on? To the next I'll one? just say, like, I agree with everything that's been said. Like, I just want, I just want to see stuff happen, right? And and as Kelly said, I'm just so sick and tired of all these appeals. Like, we fight so hard to get these these issues through, and then people are appealing them, knowing they're going to lose. Like, knowing that there's no chance that they're and they're just <laughs> delaying progress. Right? We're in a we're in a housing crisis. We're in. We need to develop more and more and more. And let's remember, these aren't just glorified parking garages. There's high density residential yeah. going above them. Right? So like. Like, I, I want to be clear, like, for so this people who want to be have this war on the car, which there is a large, there is a, I wouldn't say large, but there's a lot, there is a camp in London and yeah. they're vocal. Um, this is also about housing. And the fact of the matter is you cannot engineer people out of their cars, not in London, Ontario. We have a terrible um, city design. This city should never have been as big as it is. We have a train track right here, running through the middle of downtown. (laughs) Like, you know, like there's so many problems with this city. And and, and let's be honest, like even, even with the changes that we're going to make to transit is going to be better. Sure. Is it going to be awesome? No. Like, you know, so the fact of the matter is, is that we, we need to be as ambitious as we can with what we have. We need to make these changes. We need to get these, we need to get these parking garages. So people have places to put their car, people have places to live and let's just get it done. For the love of God, let's just get it done. Can I can I make one give Absolutely. one shout out here? I, I am on the board of directors for uh, Residenza Affordable Housing. We build yep. affordable housing, and we've done so in East uh, London on Hamilton Road, and also building uh, as part of the Vision Soho uh, project, which is going to be awesome. Both projects are phenomenal, by the yeah. way. Yeah. I Listen, I want to say this. That we talk so much about the same old activists, especially in the core of our city, that say no to everything because of shadowing or because of density. I quoted one make... of my Twitter feed this week. Exactly. <laughs> we have a lot of that. But I want to yeah. give a quick shout out to the neighborhoods that we have 
we've built our first couple buildings on Hamilton Road in the Fairmont neighborhood. And I want to tell you one thing. We have affordable housing. We have housed veterans and people with disabilities and a number of and seniors and, and, and everybody else, everybody in between. And when you go to the public participation meetings for these types of developments in Fairmont and on Hamilton mm-hmm. Road, the questions are never, what's the shadow going to be on my property? And what is it going to mean for my property value? And what is this? The questions are, hey, how are we going to make sure that the wheelchair can fit through the front door? Hey, how are we going to make sure that the, um, that the counters are low enough so that somebody that is a veteran who has an injury can actually, when they're in a wheelchair, uh, do that? They're looking out for, in my experience, in that part of town, they've been looking out for the best interest of the future residents, which I think is mm-hmm. unbelievable and amazing. We don't talk enough about that. So I a quick shout out, Fairmont and Hamilton Road um, so far, and I wish that attitude was everywhere. In it's this my city. old well, hood. Yeah. Where I, went, I, went to say, I went to school at St. Bernard. May, uh, May I draw a line there as sure. far as where I think that attitude starts? East of Adelaide. (laughs) (laughs) London is the biggest small town and they just need to get over it. They're a city. (laughs) Uh, They are very much a city. Uh, Let's talk real quick before we go about an upcoming by-election. And everyone apparently has their candidates. I think it's going to be a pretty fun by-election. And I think it might show us a lot about where we're at politically in the province of Ontario. And that would be the Lambton-Kent-Middlesex by-election, which is coming up in the wake of the... uh, Somewhat surprising uh, when it happened. Resignation of Monty McNaughton. Uh, Kathy Burghardt-Jessen, who, of course, is uh, has been the warden of Middlesex County for a while. Uh, she was three terms. Three She's not terms? current. She's three not terms. current. Yes, yes, who yeah. was. He was, yes, excuse me. Uh, past tense. Uh, either way, uh, she's going to be the liberal candidate. Uh, Kelly, uh, do you know Kathy at all? Uh, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> a senior in passing. I tweeted it when it when it when it uh, when the news broke, but it was it was a hell of a poll for the Ontario Liberals. Mm-hmm. It really was to get Kathy. Um, I'll, I, I know that both you and Ryan probably have some opinion on that. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk, uh, and uh, Nathan may disagree. Uh, but sure. uh, your 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 thoughts on, on Kathy taking this leap and what that means for the race? Because it's it's fascinating to have somebody like her sort of with, with the name on the sign. That's not usually what we do in Lambton, Kent, Middlesex. So in full disclosure, Kathy and I are great friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. sat on county council together and, I, and I've known her. Um, so I think you're right. It, it is a massive pull for the yeah. Ontario Liberals. And I think what's going to be most fascinating about this race is we talk about all the struggles municipalities are having and the province's cause of a lot of those problems. Um, both the PC candidate, Steve, and I can't think of his last name off the... Steve Pinsano. Pinsano, thank you. He's a um, councillor in Chatham-Kent. Ward 3 councillor in Chatham-Kent. Yeah. Yeah. In, in Kent. And um, and Kathy are both obviously mi- uh, municipal councillors. They have the experience. They know the issues that municipalities are facing. Um, the NDP just announced their candidate, I think it's Catherine Shaler. I'm probably maybe pronouncing that wrong. Um, doesn't have that municipal experience and so and you know my thoughts aside on that I don't I don't think she's going to be a big player in this I think it's going to come down to Steve and Kathy um you know my personal opinion is about Kathy is I don't think there is anybody in any municipal council in all of Ontario that has the passion that Kathy has Mm -hmm. and for the liberals to pull her into that away from that into the into uh running for them I think is absolutely massive and and I've said it so many times before that 
especially in rural ridings, if the liberals or the NDP want to be taken seriously, they need to invest in a good candidate. They can't just toss somebody in for the sake of having somebody riding in that riding. Um, And they have to invest in policy. And I think that's where the liberals are going to run into problems in this by-election. The last time it was held liberally is when the Green Energy Act came out and they put in all those windmills and it was met with a lot of issues um, when when the province over road what municipalities wanted in order to put up those windmills and so I think you know she's going to have to face the music on that um but but in the grand scheme of things it's a it's a huge pull for the liberals so uh, no Ryan go ahead yeah so I'll I'll say this first off I I want to talk about Monty McNaughton and I want to say that Monty McNaughton was a great member of provincial parliament um I I have I have Mm -hmm. only great things to say about him Uh, he represented his community very well. Um, I worked, obviously my boss is a federal MP, but we obviously are always collaborating with MPPs. I, you've heard me use this line many times on, on your show. Um, I heard it at a conference one time and it's true. Some people get into politics to be somebody. Other people get into politics to do something. Monty, just like my boss, Monty McNaughton got into politics to do something. And Absolutely. he should be, people should be very thankful about what he did. Monty was not overly partisan. Monty was just a really, really good guy. Monty's a lot like Rob Flack. I'm going to say that about as well. He's the sitting MPP in, in Elgin, Middlesex, London. I only have amazing things to say about Rob Flack and his team. He's a great guy. He's amazing to work with. We do a lot of work with him on housing as my boss, as he's the associate minister. My boss is the parliamentary secretary for the file. So I just wanted to say that off the top because I, I think to dovetail into what Kelly said about representation for the area, uh, Kathy Burkhard-Jessen is... A phenomenal human being. So I've worked with her a lot uh, through my day job. I think it's it's fantastic. I want to be very clear. I am not a provincial liberal. For everyone thinking that I am, I'm not. I, I actually, I know I should, but I really don't care that much about provincial politics. It's not a passion for me. So it's very important, but it's just I, it's something I've never really gotten interested in. You have never seen me knocking on doors in provincial elections ever. I I really I voted for I I voted for all three parties uh, provincially. I really pick it on the, based on the candidate, which I know sometimes is, is rare. Um, so I want to be very clear about that because people are going to just say, "Oh, liberal talking liberal." No, like I, I am not a I am not a provincial liberal by any stretch of the imagination. Um, that said, Kathy is an incredible human being. I've seen her fight for her community. You know, three term mayor of Lucan, um, only one by like one by 125 votes last time. Like so, and you know what? She survived when when so many so many municipal people got moved out just not because they weren't doing great job or doing a, a good job a but because election. it was a change election yeah. municipally and i i really want to say that that kathy kathy survived that because of what she's done she's been a great warden she's great for the area i will say this though this is going to be though it's a great poll this is going to be a heavy lift like the liberals have to be going into this eyes wide open it is going to be very difficult to win in that uh in that by-election i still think it's the conservatives uh the progressive conservatives excuse me to lose um and uh but i will say this kathy's giving them a fighting chance to even be relevant and to have a conversation if i'm if i'm taking my like for Kathy out of the equation and looking at this as a political campaigner, like all of us in the room are, and Nathan and I have run many campaigns. Kelly, you've run many campaigns as a candidate. Um, we, I'm looking at this scene that this is probably two turn two elections out for Kathy to potentially be successful. Um, that being said, 
anything can happen in a by-election. Mm-hmm. Low voter turnout, like, you know, any, anything can happen. Um, and But again, I just want to say that Kathy Burkhard Jensen, Jensen is an incredible person who will do a remarkable job, who will put all the community first from the littlest hamlet to the bigger centers in that riding. So uh, kudos to the Ontario Liberals for for getting her. I'm actually shocked they convinced her, convinced her if I'm being honest. Um, I'm shocked. And, and I think that... Well, uh, that, that's a win for well, Bonnie Crombie is what that yeah, is. It, it, yeah, it is. It is. I, I'm, I'm shocked, frankly. I'll say it took them a while and, yeah. a, <laughs> and a couple answers to get yeah. the one they wanted. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but like, good, like Bonnie Crombie found someone who she thought would be a great candidate and said, okay, we want to get this person. And she worked hard and she got it. That's, that's a win for Bonnie Crombie. Uh, Nathan, how much do you think that this one by-election may tell us? Because to me, if the progressive conservatives lose this one, that is an awkward spot for them to be stick handling in just because these are the types of ridings where, where their bread should be buttered statistically. Yeah, I will say this. First of all, I'm a conservative. Second of all, I don't know either of the conservative or liberal candidates, but as uh, Ms. Burkhart Jessen is also the uh, second generation of somebody who was on London <laughs> yes. City Council. I wish her nothing but the best in her political career, uh, first of all. Um, as some people may know, her father, if I'm not mistaken, was the deputy mayor, was the head of board yes. control at one point, yep. and a liberal yep. MP. So yeah. she's got pedigree and she knows what she's doing. I, again, I don't know her. Um, but my understanding of Lambton Kent Middlesex, first of all, Monty, uh, as the MPP, most recently got almost 60% of the vote in the last election, and the Liberals didn't crack 10%. Right. Uh, the NDP actually doubled up on the Liberals. They almost had 20%. So we're talking about a riding that was 60%, give or take, 60% PC, 20% NDP, and 10% uh, Liberal. Yep. And so you've got a long way to go. The truth is for by-elections though, is again, it's all about motivating people and it's all about understanding, okay, here's our pocket of voters. Here's the people that Mm -hmm. if they are going to vote, they're going to vote for us. So we've got to get them fired up sufficiently to go and vote. So you um, got to turn out in Lucan. Right. Yeah. And the Liberals. And Ilderton. And yeah. Kamoka and right. Kilworth. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. The liberals As opposed have, to Chatham and so forth. And right. Strathroy. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And yeah. The, the for the Conservatives, it's going to be, okay, so of all of our identified voters, how many of them can we motivate to get out and vote? For the Liberals, it's a taller task. They're going to be, we need everybody who voted for us last time to do it, and then we need to go find some more, which is remarkable and fascinating. And I think that, Can I again, push back on that, though? Actually, yeah, I actually think it's even worse, and I'll tell you why. Probably. Because I because I, I don't think, the, unfortunately, that the Liberals are going to have, you talked about IDs, and for those who don't know what we're talking about, you know, all political parties have systems that when they campaign, they ID people as, you know, liberal, possible liberal, conservative, unknown. And the pr- problem is that, Knowing to what you said that it was such a low uh, poll for, for the OLP last time yeah. in Lambton, Kent, Middlesex, the 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 IDs are are, are not going to be there, so they ha- they won't have that initial poll, so they'll just have yeah. to ID rapidly, and and that's what makes it very very difficult. But and why I talked about by elections, though, you're going to have more people around. Yeah, you're going to have more sets of hands as far. True, as but you're still going to have sure. you're still you are, but you also are going to have. Remember, they have what I forget if they have seven or eight MPPs the the OLP right now. Yeah. So it's not like they have that many more hands yeah. around to be honest with but you, Craig. Touché. And the and the other thing is is that even with that many more hands, voter turnout is so depressed and so low in a by election that that even if you have all those people. Pulling the voters is a really tall task where you have that kind of natural buzz in a, a, in a general election that just has organically people going to the polls. So I'll just make a couple points. I think, one, that riding historically has been liberal, NDP, and conservative. It is yeah. It has gone every direction. And I will say, Monty McNaughton, it is my humble belief, 
has held that riding, not necessarily because he's a conservative, because he's Monty, Monty McNaughton, McNaughton, right? And because, and to go back to that point, Monty is, I have nothing but amazing things to say about Monty. I love him to death. And so I think for, for you know, there was probably some election cycles that he won by a lot because he's Monty McNaughton. So not, I like, I'm not putting aside that Kathy has a giant hill to climb and as, you know, running as a liberal in, in a relatively safe conservative holding. Um, but... There's no one else that Bonnie Crombie could have signed up that would put in the work to do that, that Kathy will. And I think... There's no one better, Kelly. Yeah, there's no one better. There's not another human being. There's no human being that they could have picked up that could at least, you know, make the effort to climb that hill. And I'll just say that, you know, them picking up Kathy, I think, should be an awakening call to the conservatives because I think, you know, picking up Steve, who isn't necessarily a well-known counselor, he's not really, he's, I mean, he's well-known in Chatham-Kent, not on this side of the riding, right? And so, um, you know, he hasn't, you know, been, you know, warden, he hasn't done the things that Kathy has done. And so I would say that, you know, they probably thought they could walk in and just walk out with the campaign, right? Like, and not really put very much effort into doing it. Um, I think that's going to change now that Kathy's been signed up. Like, they're going to have to go out and put in a little bit of effort. It's a big riding. It is a very, very big riding. It's a very big riding, and it's very different. You know, a lot of times I think people can sit up in Toronto and say it's a rural riding. You know, there's the issues are the same across the board. The issues are very much not the same. Middlesex is seeing incredible growth. Chatham Kent nope they're not thriving down there I'll tell you and so there's a lot of very different issues that are happening and so it's not just it's not one it really isn't one riding there's so much going on with it and so you know Kathy has a big hill to climb but like I said there's no one else the liberals could have picked up that would at least put the effort to at least try to climb that hill. well and I'll say this too if if there's people like Kelly, I believe you live in the riding, correct? Correct me if I'm wrong. I do not. You, oh, you do not live in the riding. Okay, so but You're just pe- on the other, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just on the outside. I'm of it. in the new. I'll be in the riding in the new boundary. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, that's if the province actually adopts yeah. the federal ones, which is all I'm hearing behind the scenes. There's a whole thing that they may not. But I will say this with breaking news with, Sorry, with, with organizers like Kelly, with with uh, with people that that understand those communities um, and that are on the ground. That will be very helpful to to Kathy as well. Uh, leveraging all those networks that she's built in in the little towns and communities uh, will be helpful and to your point if if they pull those people anything's possible but it, it is it's a it's a large task we're gonna have to leave it there because we're out of time so thank you very much to Kelly and Nathan and to Ryan for doing the roundtable with us this week the Craig Needles podcast on the Friday roundtable is powered by the uh, folks over at downtown London and the Covent Garden Market The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.